The reading this morning is from 2 Samuel chapter 12, and we're reading verses 1 to 14. Nathan rebukes David. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. The Lord, the God of Israel, says, I anointed you king of Israel and saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of the Ammonites and stolen his wife. From this time on, your family will live by the sword because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Because of what you have done, I will cause your own household to rebel against you. I will give your wives to another man before your very eyes, and he will go to bed with them in public view. You did it secretly, but I will make this happen to you openly in the sight of all Israel. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you, and you won't die for this sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord by doing this, your child will die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're going to start with our second reading from Psalm 51. This is the psalm that David wrote after um, Nathan the prophet went to him. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in a secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God, my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a broken and contrite spirit. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So on Friday there, there was a first in English court history as the sentencing remarks of a judge were broadcast live for anyone to watch. It was the murder trial of a lady, Gemma Mitchell, who murdered her friend Deborah. Deborah had offered her 200,000 pounds to repair her house. She had been struggling with her mental health a lot uh, in a long running illness and withdrew that offer from, from her. Deborah then went to her house and killed, Gemma, Gemma Mitchell then went to Deborah's house and killed Deborah and hid her body. The judge then summed things up in these remarks to her. The sole mitigation is that you are effectively a woman of previous good character. As to aggravating features, they are the following. Firstly, the amount of planning and premeditation that went into this offense. I'm driven to the conclusion that you are extremely devious. You have shown absolutely no remorse. And it appears that you are in complete denial as to what you did. The enormity of your crime is profoundly shocking, even more so given your apparent religious devotion. As well as the fact that Deborah was a good friend to you and had shown you great kindness. The sentence of the court is one of life imprisonment. And when we hear the shocking crime that has been committed and we see that justice is given out, we're pleased. We are glad that justice has been done and that this evil thing has not been got away with. And here we see David confronted by the prophet Nathan. And Nathan reads out the story of what David has done. And Nathan delivers God's judgment. Let's pray as we look at this. Father God, open our eyes and hearts to your word this morning. Let us know the amazing grace that you have to offer us. The amazing forgiveness, Lord, that covers over all our sins. Bring back to us the joy of our salvation, Lord, and help us live lives that reflect what you have done for us in your name. Amen. So often people know the story of David and Goliath, where David famously defeats this mighty warrior, Goliath, and he trusts in God all the way through that. And then many of us will know the story of when David is chosen to be king of Israel over his many older brothers who look much better suited to the job. 
Uh, David then goes on to show incredible bravery and trust in God as he serves Saul. Saul becomes increasingly paranoid about David as David's fame and might grow. Saul seeks to, to kill David, but David does not take any opportunity he is presented to take Saul's life. Instead, he trusts in God and says, I will not kill the Lord's anointed king. Eventually, Saul dies in battle against the Philistines and David becomes king. David's early rule is full of great victories and great trust in God. Foreigners trust and serve and acknowledge God's work and David's honor, but things begin to change. We see how David's armies have gone forward in war, yet David remained behind. His troops are out fighting in the field and David is there relaxing on his balcony over the city of Jerusalem. And he, he sees something he wants, someone he wants, Bathsheba. He forces her to sleep with him whilst her husband is away fighting. He then recalls Uriah, her husband, back from the battlefront to Jerusalem. He tries to make him sleep with her, but he says he will not sleep with her whilst his troops are out fighting and he is at peace in Jerusalem. David even tries to get him drunk, but still Uriah resists. David, fearing that Bathsheba may be pregnant, then arranges for Uriah to be killed on the battlefront and effectively puts him to death. David was fixed on what he wanted. He tried to use deceit and eventually he just went out and conspired to have him killed. If we were reading the book of Judges at this point, as we were earlier in our Immerse series, I would expect uh, summing up comment to be at the end of this sort of passage. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But we're not in Judges. We're in Samuel, and David is God's anointed king over Israel, and he is acting in this outrageous way. So, God sends the prophet Nathan to David in 2 Samuel 12. Nathan tells this story of this poor man and his beloved lamb and how the rich man cruelly mistreats his neighbor by taking this beloved lamb away from the poor man and killing it for his guest. And David is outraged. The man who does this deserves to die. He has no pity. He should be punished fourfold. And then Nathan delivers the sentence you are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wife into your arms, and you gave, gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this was too little, I would add as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to, what, to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. And I can't help but think back to those judges' comments and almost rephrase them for David. What would it sound like? David, you are previously a man of good character. 
you have put extensive planning and premeditation into this killing done for gain. I'm driven to the conclusion that you must be extremely devious. You have shown absolutely no remorse, and it appears that you are in complete denial as to what you did. The enormity of your crime is profoundly shocking, even more so given your apparent religious devotion and your status as God's anointed king over Israel, as well as the fact that Uriah was one of your mighty men who had shown great devotion and bravery to you in war. So David receives his sentence from God, the shaming of his marriages, the loss of his child, and a life plagued by war and strife. So what is David's response to this? I have sinned against the Lord. And what should be the just response? What did the law say? The law said if you committed adultery or if you committed murder, then you should be killed. You should receive a death penalty. But what does God say to David? Through Nathan, God says, the Lord has put away your sin. David's sins are forgiven by God. Murder, lust, adultery. He still has the consequences of his actions ahead of him. But David's genuine contrition, God shows his forgiveness and withholds the rightful penalty of death. David will, however, go on to receive the fourfold judgment that he called upon for that rich man in the story. He loses four children, three of them in violent circumstances, and sees his own son start a civil war against him. We see in Psalm 51, David's brokenness at his actions. He does not hold anything back in this psalm. He correctly identifies that he has ultimately sinned against God for his actions and pleads with him for a pure heart and that God's Holy Spirit would remain with him. There is such a sense of anguish, but also a recognition that God is the one who can lift them up from this. In verse 15, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David recognizes that no sacrifice will please God, but the person who fully turns to God in humble brokenness will be accepted by him. After this fresh turning to God and David's genuine contrition, we see Israel's successful conquest over the Amorites, with David leading forth the army again in victory. It feels like this would be a turning point where things turn to positive for him. However, things are soon to take a nightmarish turn. David's firstborn son, Amnon, falls in love with his half-sister, Tamar. And in an act almost mimicking his father with Bathsheba, he takes what he wants by force and rapes his half-sister. He leaves us, he leaves Tamar distraught and disgraced in the view of society. Tamar's full brother Absalom looks to hush up the incident whilst plotting his revenge on his half-brother Amnon for what he has done. And what was David's response? 
it says he was furious. But did he do anything? The king of Israel, the father of his daughter. It seems he does nothing. He abdicates his responsibility. He does not do what he should do. He does not bring discipline and justice. He does nothing to protect his daughter. Was this because of David's own shame from his actions with Bathsheba? Was it playing back through his mind over and over again what he could have done differently? Maybe, very probably. We see David paralyzed from delivering the discipline and justice he should do in his own family. Two years go by whilst Absalom waits for David to do something. But finally, Absalom has had enough. He lures Amnon out and takes revenge on him and kills him. Absalom then holds a mock court in Jerusalem to show how the king is not giving justice to his people. And he holds this mock court for four years. Four years. If only there were a king and he would give you justice. And what does David do? David does nothing. Things escalate and Absalom looks to take power from David through force, leading to a civil war. David again, as Mark was saying, turns to God for his strength. And David's armies defeat Absalom. And David says, spare my son in the battle if you see him, spare him. But his men disregard this order and kill Absalom, leaving David brokenhearted over the loss of his son. And it's almost like David's own guilt over his own inaction over Tamar, his inaction over Amnon, his inaction over Absalom, build up in him as he weeps for Absalom's loss. What a mess. What started with David forcing himself upon Bathsheba rolls on and on in this with David's failure of leadership throughout, as he does not give out the discipline and justice which he failed to have to himself. Yet David still recognizes God's merciful hand on him as he protects and delivers him from harm. David writes songs and psalms, saying of God's faithfulness and goodness to him. He builds an altar to remember what God has done for him at the end of his life. So what do we learn from all of this? What does this mean for us today? Well, David's flawed kingship is a reminder to us that ultimately even great and godly human leaders are going to let us down at some point. He points ultimately to, to Jesus as our true king, whereas human leaders are always going to let us down at some point. Even celebrity Christians or Christians we hugely admire will have made mistakes and may mess up. Instead, we need to look to our true King Jesus. Our true King Jesus who does not let us down. If we turn to Mark 2, verses 1 to 12. 
When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon, the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him in to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. And here is Jesus with this man coming through the roof and the debris falling down. I'm sure the first things that Jesus said to him, he wasn't expecting it to be, your sins are forgiven. He was probably hoping to be healed. But Jesus is full of compassion and love and mercy. He sees their faith. My child, your sins are forgiven. Now here again, like with David, the man's sins are forgiven. Justice is not done. We do not know what this man has done or not done, but he has been forgiven by Jesus. I wonder what was going through his mind as Jesus said these words how profound it may have been. What did the man's mind flash back to? What weight was lifted from his shoulders? Maybe a series of minor things. Maybe a thing that had clouded his mind for many years with guilt. Jesus releases that man from his sin and then to prove his authority, tells him to rise and go home and heals his physical disability. Yet Jesus delivers justice as well. He knows that sins cannot be just talked away. God is just. And Jesus, as the true and perfect king, lays down his life on the cross, that his ultimate sacrifice would take away the guilt of all those who trust in him. But justice will fall on those who do not turn to him. Jesus' kingly time on earth was not one of royal courts or heroic conquests in battle, but it was one of prayer and compassion, healing the sick and bringing those who were far from God back to him. It was not those who were proud and self-reliant that welcomed Jesus in, but those who were contrite and broken spirit who knew the joy of Jesus' touch on their lives as he gave them the mercy and hope with God's very own presence among them. 
So my question and challenge to you today is this. Are you in denial about something in your life that does not please God? Do not hesitate, but offer it up to God. Turn away from it with brokenness and humility. And just as David prayed, ask for your heart to be made clean and to not be led into temptation, but to be delivered from evil. David was not remembered by God as an adulterer and a murderer and a man full of lust. But David was remembered as a man after God's own heart because his sins were forgiven. They were completely taken away. God did not look back on David and say, oh yes, that's that murderer and that adulterer. That's that person who lied and deceived and killed his friend. No, when God forgave David's sins, he forgave them. He cast them as far as the east is from the west. We too can have that forgiveness. We too are made a new creation when we trust in Christ. So trust in God today. Do not deny or hide your unpleasantness from God. For others, it may be that we know we are forgiven of our sin, but we do not feel freed from it. We are living in the shame of our past actions. And like David, we are abdicating or not taking up the responsibilities that he has given us. Whether that's in your family, whether that's in your church, whatever part of your life that may be, it may be that you're not taking up the role or the actions that God has called you to do because you are living in the shame of your past actions. If you have turned to Jesus, then know that your sins are cast away from you. Know that he is looking at you and seeing your, say, your, your, your faith and saying, my child, your sins are forgiven. Know that you are a new creation in Christ. Know that he does not look back and see those things anymore, but he sees Jesus. So, do not deny or hide your unpleasantness from God. He already knows what it is. Bring it to him now. He is longing for you to turn to him. Bring before him your past brokenness and let him restore you and give you a new purpose so that you can be used for his work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that in him we can trust you and know that you will take away our sin. Have mercy on us, God, according to your steadfast love and mercy. Take away our sin. We offer up to you what we have done and what we have left undone and recognize that it's against you and you only that we have sinned. Create in us clean hearts, O God, and renew a right spirit in us. Keep us close to your presence and give us your Holy Spirit and restore in us the joy of your salvation that we would declare your praise and serve you in all things. Amen.